Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology that helps physicians be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden. This is awesome technology. To learn more about how DAX Copilot can help reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, ophthalmology, and other areas of medicine as well, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. Hey everybody, welcome to Knock Knock I with Dr. Glockenflecken. That's me. Uh, this is your weekly stop for all things eyeballs. And I'm so excited for today's episode. We got a doozy. We got a, 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 a harrowing topic today. But first, there's snow on the ground, everyone, in Portland, Oregon. And you might think, oh, that's exciting. But no, it's not because this city is terrible when it comes to snow. So medical education has taken me all over the place. And I've lived in uh, uh, snow poor areas, uh, uh, snow uh, heavy areas, and like everything in between. And, oh, and what I've learned is that uh, the places that get a ton of snow, as you would expect, are very good with snow. Like up in New Hampshire, Vermont, uh, um, the Chicago, I lived in Chicago for a year. They're very good at handling snow. Like they're, there's a snow, a big deal. Like you're still going to go to work. You're still going to go to school. Uh, it, it, you're not going to have like early closures or late, whatever. Like the plows are out in force and everyone just deals with it and goes about their life because if you had to change your life every time it snowed, you'd never get anything done. And so, um, uh, but it's, it's, it's the places that like get one snow a year that just, it's, it's just painful. And Portland is exactly that way. Um, uh, whenever it's in right now, it's like kind of sleety, but it's, it's sticking on the ground, but it's like a half an inch. And we closed down the clinic early in preparation for the snow yesterday. Like most clinics did probably a little aggressive. We didn't need to do that. Um, uh, but we did it just to make sure every, you know, you never know what's going to happen. When is it going to start? That's all. It's always the, the, uh, 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 like the anticipation of snow is almost is so much worse than the actual snow when it comes and yeah, it's cold and yeah, it's coming down, but the roads are not clear the road. Then they like, there no, nobody has plows here. And, and so whenever you get like a couple inches, it just it ruins everything. Like you can't go anywhere. Um, um, well you can, but, but you're, you're really, you're driving on ice basically. And so you end up like you, if you're ever out on the roads, uh, with a four wheel drive vehicle, you'll just see there's just cars strewn about every, the highway. Like nobody knows how to drive in snow in a place like this. It's just an absolute mess. And it does. That's the one time, like, I really wish I was still in like Iowa or Chicago, or God forbid, New Hampshire, where it's like snows eight months a year, where they know how to deal with this stuff. So anyway, that it's and, and then the kids got, are let out of school like uh, obscenely early. The days are canceled, and it's it's like it's really not that big of a deal. But uh, because no one 
manages, there's no system, there's no infrastructure for managing snow on roads. Then it turns to ice and everyone's day is ruined, except for kids. They love it, right? They love it. They go outside, they kind of just slide down the streets and uh, I don't know, there's, there's, there's decent hills here. So, you know, they get some sledding in, but uh, it's, it's kind of a pain in the ass for everyone else. So anyway, um, other than that, the snow's great. I don't, I don't want you to think I hate snow. I I'm fine with snow. I didn't grow up with snow. You guys, I grew up in Houston and it was kind of a similar thing, except we never got snow. So it was the cold. Like if it dropped below 30 degrees, everyone's covering their plants. Uh, uh, everyone, everyone's freaking out that school's getting, you know, a late start, early ending. Sometimes days are canceled just for cold. It's even worse down there. Just cold. So it's really cold. Uh, we gotta be careful. Oh man. Eh, anyway, it is what it is anyway. So, so yesterday it, it, we, everyone thought it might start snowing, but it didn't start snowing. And now we're getting it today. It's a Saturday and, um, I'm fresh. I'm feeling I'm caffeinated. Normally I've been recording these episodes very late at night whenever I have time, but I've got some time today because I was supposed to go to Seattle this weekend because, but it snowed. So I'm stuck here. So I was like, let's, let's, let's do some eyeball stuff. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. Uh, our patient, I have a patient presentation for you. This is a 45 year old patient, uh, who had, um, comes into the emergency department with a decrease in vision and, um, in an immense amount of pain in the eye. Like so we'll say the right eye, right eye vision's gotten worse and vision and, uh, the, the pain is, is unbelievable patients. He's been throwing up the past like six hours. Uh, and just the, you go and you look at this, this patient in the emergency department and it's like, he's just holding his head, uh, the eyes closed. He's, it's, it's hard for him to even speak. It hurts so much on further questioning of this patient. The doctor finds out that he just had an eye surgery four days ago on that eye. So that's where you stop right there. If you're an emergency physician, if you are uh, uh, any non-ophthalmologist, uh, you, you hear that patient comes in surgery four days, less than a week ago, and now they have immense pain and a decrease in vision. That is a one neuron arc, everyone, to endophthalmitis call ophthalmology. Like that you don't have, that's, we, that is, that is, we're talking, we talked about pants patients about a couple months ago. I had a series of, uh, of, of pants patients. Those are patients where they come into the emergency department and you, you hear, uh, about this, this thing, whether it's angle closure, glaucoma or a chemical injury or an open globe, then that, uh, results in the ophthalmologist on call immediately putting on their pants and coming in to see the patient. Those are pants patient endophthalmitis, which is an infection inside the eye that my friends is a no pants patient. I, I'm not even bothering. I, I hear that. I hear surgery, increasing pain, decrease in vision, painful vision loss. Basically, I am not even bothering with pants. I'm getting, I'm hopping in my car. I'm coming right to that patient. All right. And everyone's just going to have to deal with the consequences of seeing me without pants. Because that is that is the emergency of emergencies in ophthalmology. That is that is the worst case scenario. That's a terror. You don't want that. Uh, there's there's a couple things that are very similar to that. Uh, a a retrobulbar hemorrhage 
is another one causing increased pressure. We haven't really talked at length about that. That's another good topic I could do for a pants patient uh, or no pants patient. But, uh, um, uh, and the reason there are no pants patients is because like minutes count, minutes count with this type of problem. All right. Uh, because an infection in the eye is devastating. So uh, this patient had the surgery that they had was a pars plana vitrectomy, a pars plana vitrectomy. So what that surgery is, a patient has a, a retinal detachment. We've talked about that in a previous episode. The surgery they'll often get is what's called a pars plana vitrectomy, where you make um, a small um, kind of puncture incisions in the eye, uh, on, in the sclera, which is the white part of the eye. And you go in with instruments and you use, a, there's a, a thing called a cutter. There's a thing called a vacuum. And you're basically um, cutting out and removing all the vitreous, all the jelly inside the eye, which gives you access to the retinal detachment. You can go in and you can kind of uh, reattach the retina through this process, through this surgery. And so it's a very common surgery. It's also the surgery that has the most, the highest chance of a post-op infection, all right? Now, I don't want you guys thinking, those of you who need a pars plana vitrectomy, I don't want you to think, oh man, I'm gonna get an infection. It's a, no, the risk is still very, very low. We have innovated eye surgery using small incisions and aseptic techniques to, to, to really decrease the risk of infection. So it's incredibly unlikely that you are going to get an infection from um, um, uh, from from a, a a typical eye surgery, okay. So the most common eye surgeries out there, ninety nine percent of eye surgeries, you're going to have a very low risk of infection. Uh, and so, but of of all the eye surgeries, a vitrectomy is the one statistically that you're you're most likely to get an infection. But we're still talking like on the order of like one in a thousand or even less. Um, the next most likely uh, surgery that can give you an infection would be a cataract surgery, but it's even lower risk um, uh, just because it's a, a much more limited surgery with a vitrectomy. It's a bigger surgery. You're going into the back part of the eye with a cataract surgery, you're kind of right there in the front and it's typically a shorter surgery as well. So, um, and the other thing is that we do to mitigate the risk of infection for any eye surgery is we give antibiotics inside the eye at the end of the surgery and sometimes and or topical antibiotics. So you get antibiotic eye drops after surgery. For some surgeries, you can just get this, the antibiotic instilled into the eye at the end of the surgery, which, which is also very effective. So all these things make it unlikely that you're going to have an infection after eye surgery. But, you know, that's part of the consent process, right? You're, we're talking about all the potential risks of eye surgery. Infection is one of them. So that's why whenever I uh, see my one-day post-ops, so I did surgery. I do surgeries on Wednesdays. They come in Thursday. And one thing I always say is uh, let us know right away if you have any pain or decrease in vision. And I say every day as you recover from surgery, your vision will be a little bit better and any scratchiness will be a little bit better as well. If you start having worsening pain or worsening vision, you need to let us know right away, day or night. We always have someone on call for this thing, all right? Because I don't go into it and tell the patient, you know, if you do have an infection, it is a no pants patient. So just be aware, I'm going to be coming to see you pantsless. I, I don't say that. They are sometimes surprised when that happens. Um, 
I'm kidding. I don't want you guys to think I go and see patients without pants. That would be highly inappropriate. Um, I might temporarily forget to put on pants before I leave the house, but most of the time I do remember before I get out to my car. Okay, so as far as let's talk a little bit more about infection. So we've already established a patient comes in to the emergency in the middle of the night and they have this. That's why I always tell anytime I talk with emergency physicians, uh, one thing I always tell them is, is you always, always, any patient that comes in with an eye problem, particularly pain or a vision change, just ask, have you had any eye surgery recently or any procedure on the eye? Has anybody gone into the eye to do something, any kind of eye procedure? Uh, and it, it takes two seconds to do that, to ask that question. Uh, and so it just should be like part of your thing that you do for people with eye problems that come in to see you, whether it's urgent care, emergency medicine, or even just a, a routine appointment and they have an eye thing. All right. So you're asking that question, single neuron arc. All right. They had recent eye surgery. They have worsening vision. You call the ophthalmologist. All right. You got it right away. It doesn't matter what time it is. You're getting them on the phone. Hey, patient had surgery less than a week ago. They're having a lot, lots of pain. Uh, and that ophthalmologist needs to come in. If they can't come in, they need to tell you how to get that patient to an ophthalmologist. Because again, minutes count with this problem. Um, so as far as what we do when we get to, actually, let's take a quick break. Then we'll come back and we'll talk about what I do uh, when I finally get to the emergency department without pants on. Hey, Kristen, doesn't it seem like AI can do anything? It seems that way. It's right? everywhere. It is. But have you heard of precision? No, tell me. This is the first ever electronic health record integrated infectious disease AI platform. Mm, that sounds fancy. Yeah, it's what really does it mean? exciting. Uh, so for any specific patient, it takes all the patient's clinical data and automatically highlights better antibiotic coverage in real time. Oh, nice. Yeah. It empowers clinicians to save more lives while also working more efficiently mm. and quickly. To see a demo, go to precision.com slash KKH. That's precision spelled with an X instead of an E. So P-R-X-C-I-S-I-O-N dot com slash KKH. All right, we are back uh, talking about endophthalmitis, a word that's uh, also very hard to spell. E-N-D-O-P-H-T-H-A-L-M-I-T-I-S. It was on my board exam. Just spell out, spell endophthalmitis. Let's see how you do. Um, all right. So I get, I get to where the patient is as, as quickly as possible. And I'll, I'll evaluate the, the eye. And the things I'm looking for, the, the, what it looks like whenever someone has endophthalmitis, their eye will be incredibly red and inflamed. Just you look at it compared to the other eye. Wow. It's like it's beet red, angry, angry vessels. The eye looking at the pupil, it might be white. It might be very opaque. That's because when the eye gets really inflamed, the cornea, which is that clear front covering, it starts to swell. The eye doesn't like having an infection. No body part does. The eye doesn't like to be inflamed, have lots of inflammatory cells. It's not good. So the cornea, it starts to get cloudy because it's getting swollen. Um, and all the inflammation causes people to be extremely light sensitive, very, very light sensitive. They won't want to open their eye. It's very difficult sometimes to get an exam on these types of patients uh, with this type of problem. But if you do get a look at the eye through a microscope, like a slit lamp, which is what most emergency departments have, uh, whether or not they work, that's another story. But what you'll see is what's called a hypopion often. 
So if there is enough inflammation inside the eye, which you do get a ton of it whenever you have an infection, those inflammatory cells, those white cells, will start to layer kind of at the bottom of the eye. And you can see it as this kind of like line of, of this, this like collection of white pus, basically, that because we always have to have a silly word for everything in ophthalmology, we call it a hypopion, H-Y-P, H-Y-P-O. P-Y-O-N, hypopion. Uh, and uh, basically it just it just means pus in the eye. That's what it is. And it's a it's a, a certainly a sign of of a terrible infection. So right then and there, and then obviously I check the patient's vision, check their pressure, check a pupils, check the pupil exam and everything. And the vision's gonna be terrible. All right, vision's always always terrible. Uh, sometimes hand motion where they can only see a hand in front of their face, sometimes just light perception, it's really bad. Basically, right away at this point, I only have to see all that inflammation in the eye, that red, angry eye, know that they had surgery recently. I know we got to treat this as endophthalmitis. And not just any endophthalmitis, infectious endophthalmitis. That's what we're focusing on right now is infection cause. Because endophthalmitis really just means an inflammation inside the eye. Well, there's lots of reasons you could have inflammation inside the eye. There's infectious reasons and there's non-infectious reasons. So we're focusing on the infectious reasons because I think that's that's just an easier topic to, to discuss, non-infectious endophthalmitis, seeing, get into the weeds a little bit, which is really the point of this podcast. We are, we are weeding it up out here in knock-knock eye world, um, but we're going to focus on infection because I don't want this to go super long. But um, so... So what, what I'll do is, so I, again, I'm a comprehensive ophthalmologist. Um, I, the, we always, I have the luxury of having retina specialists. So again, retina, the retina is the back part of the eye. So I have, I have the luxury uh, of having partners in my practice that also take call. So I take call, but also there's all a, a retina specialist on call as well, because I can't treat retinal detachments. I don't know how to do that surgery. Um, and, and endophthalmitis falls under the purview of retina specialist most of the time. Now, if I didn't have access to a retina specialist and I could get the medications to treat this disease, could I do it? Yeah, I could, I could do it because I've, I've, I have done the maneuvers before, but if you have a retina specialist available, it's really a good idea to get them involved as well. So I will, once I diagnose endophthalmitis, I call my colleague and say, Hey, we got endophthalmitis. They're going to come in. And the treatment for this is what's called a tap and inject. So what we'll do is put a, a tiny needle, 20, 25 gauge, 27 gauge, something like that, um, into the back of the eye. So in the white part of the eye. So not right in the front is because we got to get the, we got to get fluid from the back of the eye. That's where the infection is. Well, it's, it's everywhere in the eye, but it's just easier to access back there. So you put a needle in the eye. We can do this right there in the emergency department. Um, pull out a little bit of the vitreous, a little bit of the fluid in there so that we can send that off to or for culture and gram stain. And then in its place, because <laughs> there's not a whole lot of fluid inside the eye, there's about like a total of five milliliters worth of fluid inside the eye. Uh, if you take out too much of it, the eye is going to it's going to kind of like deflate like a like a basketball uh, when you let out air. And so, um, and so you need, you, it's, it's a good idea to replace it with some fluid. And we do that with antibiotics. 
So we will um, uh, do a tap to pull out the fluid to send it for culture and then it, and inject where we put antibiotics into the back part of the eye. Um, it's uh, most of the time it's broad. It's got to be broad spectrum antibiotics. Now, with ophthalmology, we're typically not so worried about uh, uh, antibiotic resistance. So we can really go like like full bore. Uh, you know, we give ceftazidime, vancomycin. That's typically the two that we use as broad spectrum just to treat the most likely uh, culprits of, of endophthalmitis, which are staph and strep species. So staph aureus, staph epidermidis, um, um, other, you know, strep species as well. Very rarely, you, I mean, you can get other things as well. You can get, um, you know, pseudomonas is, is one that I've seen before that does require actually fungal endophthalmitis. But uh, from a, for a post-operative endophthalmitis, typically it's going to be staph and strep type, speed, type of stuff. Stuff like skin, uh, things you can find in the skin that just get into the eye. Um, and so uh, we will do that. If the, if the infection is extremely severe, meaning the, patient, the patient's vision is like light perception or no light perception, those patients will often just get surgery, actually. They'll go in remove as much of that infectious fluid in there as possible uh, and also, you know, uh, uh, give the antibiotics. Those eyes have a very poor prognosis. In general, the prognosis is not great for people with infectious endophthalmitis. That's why it's such a, a terrible thing to hear. When you hear that a patient has that, your stomach just drops because you know, like, this is, this is not going to end well. Most of the time, sometimes it does, but there's a good chance, at least the vision, you know, whenever you do a surgery, you're hoping for perfect vision. You always want the patient to get to 20-20 vision. If there's an infection, it's highly unlikely that you're going to get that outcome. And what the patient can see afterwards, it uh, remains to be seen. It depends on how quickly you get there, how quickly you treat. And, uh, um, uh, and then you just, that's, this is one of those things. Surgical complications are hard. It's, it's the, it, as a surgeon, you, it's, it's, it's painful for you. It's painful for the patient, but, but you never, you don't, it, it, it hurts to know that like something you did resulted in blindness or some adverse outcome, because obviously we're not trying to do that. And, and we do everything we can to prevent infections, to prevent um, uh, to, to, to prevent complications. But in the end, the only way to avoid complications in surgery is to not operate. Like you talk to every surgeon who's been practicing for a while, everybody, they all have stories. They all have patients that have had complications that did not do well. And, and it's, um, they're tough situations. They are the, the biggest advice I was given and that I still practice to this day is when you do have a complication and you will have complications, you just, you, you be there for the patient because it's scary. It's, it's terrifying, especially for, for anything, for any kind of complication, but for eyes in particular, because people are afraid they're going to lose their vision. They might lose their vision. They may not, but they might. And that's, that's scary. And so the, the best advice that I could give that I've been given myself is just to, to, it's very, it's just to be there. All right. It's very easy to like, want to be, be kind of like 
standoffish, like, oh man, it hurts to see that patient. I don't want to see that patient because I'm reminded of, of this terrible thing that happened to them. It's like, it's like you want to just put it out of your mind, but you can't do that. You can't do that because, because that, that patient's scared, that patient's terrified and they need, they need your support. Even if there's nothing more you can do from a medical standpoint for this patient, uh, the least you can do, the one thing you can always do is be there for them. Keep seeing them back in clinic. All right. Reach out to them during their recovery process from this complication. Be available for phone calls. Uh, uh, give out your cell phone number if you have to. Just be available. Be there. Let them know. Let that patient know that you have not given up on them that you haven't moved on to other things that are maybe more comfortable to be around. That patient needs you as the surgeon who did the surgery. And, and, and you'd be surprised. Like some of the complications I've had, the patients that have had complications, which fortunately it's not often, right? Cause, cause you know, you know, I'm a good surgeon just because you have a complication doesn't mean you're not a good surgeon, but I've, I've, I'm always, the one one interesting thing is it, it, if you if you practice this way, where you show compassion to these patients that have had complications, one thing you you learn is that sometimes your relationship with those people, even though this terrible thing happened, and maybe it's your fault. <laughs> I mean, you know, you did the thing and it resulted in a complication. Uh, if you show compassion and you're there for that person, your relationship with that patient is stronger than any other patient physician relationship you have and it it's it's uh it, and it's it can be a very powerful thing and so that's the one the one t- piece of advice i would give to any surgeon out there especially the trainees is is just is be there and uh and yeah it it's always a bit painful right to to have those patients come back to see you because it's a reminder that you screwed up but uh but it's it, you you got to just put those thoughts aside and just do what you can for that person who's hurting and so that's that's uh, i don't I, w- I wasn't planning to talk about that but uh actually i do think it's important it's it's important for it's important for doctors to hear that for surgeons to hear that but also especially those in training but also for patients um to to also just to for people to remember to recognize that like no surgery is without risk and surgeons do everything they possibly can to keep you safe during surgery, but things happen. Um, but what we can control, and sometimes we can't control complications, but one thing we can't control is how we treat other people. All right. So let's do, I've got uh, just a couple, a couple quick things before we wrap up today. Um, how about the don't do that eyeball tip of the week? I don't think I've done that yet. So your don't do that eyeball tip of the week. Don't ignore decreased vision and eye pain after surgery. <laughs> that's, that's the obvious one here, right? Uh, if you, uh, if, and it really is like for eye surgery, it's that first week. If you have, if you start feeling increasing pain, like you got to call, call the office, call the doctor on call. They want to, they want to hear about it. They want to try to, you know, figure out what's going on and help you, especially if you have an infection. So don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. I'm, farmers, I'm talking to you. All right. I trained in Iowa. I know how you guys are. I know how you are. Don't ignore pain after eye surgery. Um, okay. Ophthalmology fun fact. How about that? I got a fun fact for you. So um, 
sometimes you can get endophthalmitis from foreign bodies, you know, high-speed projectiles, car accidents, something traumatic endophthalmitis is a thing. Well, here's something. Uh, there are certain types of foreign bodies that if they get into your eye, they don't actually cause any problems and you can leave them in there. Yeah, we call them inert, inert foreign bodies. All right, so glass, glass is inert. Plastic, those artificial lenses that put in the, you know, we put in your eyes during cataract surgery, those are inert. They, they, they stay in there. They don't cause inflammation. Uh, sand, you can get sand in the eye. Uh, ceramic, you can get into the eye. Uh, and here's, here's something that I actually had to look this up. I didn't, I, I didn't believe this, but gold, platinum, silver, and aluminum. All of those things can get in the eye and they don't cause any problems. They're inert. The body doesn't mind. Weird. Now, don't go trying to get platinum in your eye. There's other uses for platinum. It doesn't go in your eye. Same with silver. Same with all of these things. Don't try to get stuff in your eye. We already talked last week about like cosmetic foreign bodies in the eye, artificial irises, things like that. Like, don't do this stuff. Uh, two things, though, that uh, cause significant problems in the eye. Copper. Copper is one. Causes this disease called uh, calcosis, which maybe I can talk about another time. And iron. Iron, so like metallic foreign bodies are often have some degree of iron in them. It's very common with grinding metal and things. Um, uh, and it causes something called siderosis, uh, where you can actually you know, get like a greenish hue to the eye and lots of inflammation. So copper, iron, really bad getting those things in your eye. Also plant-based material like wood, pieces of wood. I've had um, open globe injuries where people get a piece of wood in their eye very high risk for infectious endophthalmitis, very, very high risk. And so uh, um, any kind of plant material is a big deal. Uh, um, so gardening accidents uh, are, are really bad. Sticks in the eye, really, really high risk for, for devastating complications. So that's, that's your like foreign body fun fact on which ones are, are troublesome and which ones are not so bad. And let's see what else I got. Okay, we'll wrap up real quick with a question from the Glock Flock. Uh, I just more of a kind of a comment more than a question as I, I was just looking through before I started recording, looking through the comments on the LASIK episode that I did a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I just want to uh, mention one thing about dry eye and just the decision to do LASIK in general. I, I probably mentioned this a little bit, but I just want to reiterate Um if you do have, if you already have dry eye, LASIK, you just assume it's going to make it worse because most of the time it will. You do. Most people have some degree of dry eye. Now, for some people, it's transient. For most people, it's transient. It'll, it'll be there for a bit because you're cutting nerves. And if that happens, you can get some lots of dry eye. Some people, it's pretty debilitating. That's very rare that that would happen. But it's a risk. Any surgery, any procedure on a part of the body has risk, you guys. With LASIK, dry eye is one of those risks, all right? The vast majority of the people do great. Otherwise, we wouldn't do the surgery. But there is a very, very small chance you could have pretty severe dry eye. So if you already have dry eye before you have the LASIK, really think about whether or not you want to do LASIK. And this is something your doctor actually should talk with you about. Um, and if you have dry eye, tell your doctor, tell us, say, I really struggle from dry eye. Is LASIK a good idea for me? I'll tell you what, if I had dry eye already, I was using artificial tears pretty regularly. 
gritty sandiness to my eyes every so often, I wouldn't, I would not want LASIK. I would, I would not, I would not recommend it to my family members. And so, uh, it just, because I've seen so many people with, it, it's just the LASIK, it exacerbates dry eye. Um, really any, any surgery, but particularly those refractive surgeries can really exacerbate dry eye. So I had to see, I saw a lot of comments on people talking about dry eye with LASIK and it's a very real thing. It can be a very real problem. It's also a problem that you can manage. There's lots of treatments we have for dry eye, but part of the preoperative process with LASIK is making sure the eye, because you're taking a, a perfectly healthy eye and you're doing surgery on it. And, and, but that's the thing. It has to be a healthy eye. All right. So if you have other pre-existing issues with dry eye, really, really think carefully about, about LASIK or refractive surgery. Uh, it's a conversation you should have with your surgeon. Good. I, I love seeing, I love reading the comments, you guys, on these episodes. It's so I learn things from you guys. I, I, I hear about the patient experience for these diseases that I'm talking about. It's, it's fascinating to me. So especially on YouTube, that's where I see most of the comments. Uh, so keep those coming. I love, I, I, and not just for engagement, <laughs> it helps, but, uh, but I do, I, re, I actually read your comments. I may not be able to respond to all of them or, or many of them at all, but, um, I, I do like to read them cause I learned some things and then I can give you a shout out, uh, you know, sometimes on these episodes and, and address some of the frequently asked questions that I get for some of these topics. So that's our episode for today. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Will Flannery, also known as Dr. Glockenfleck. And special thanks to the producers, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brooke. Editor and engineers, Jason Partizo. Our music is by Omer Benzvi. We'll see you next week for another edition of Knock Knock Eye. Knock Knock, Knock Knock Eye and Knock Knock High is a human content production. Take care, everyone. <laughs>